uh, re-record. That's what we're doing. Okay. Um, okay, so we looked at some of this last week. We talked about this. I'm going to back up. I'm not going to back up all the way, just, but just to get kind of a running start, there's this, uh, there was uh, an issue about eating meat um, as opposed to eating vegetables. And again, I don't believe it had anything to do with a sense of a conviction about whether you should eat meat or not eat meat. In other words, some people don't eat meat. They do so for their own convictions. Uh, I think what happened was dietary issues made, um, became a point of contention. And it may have been, it doesn't mean it was, but it may have been about uh, eating meat offered to idols. It doesn't say that in this particular text. It does say that in... Um, in 1 Corinthians. But it doesn't say that here in Romans. And so I think the real issue is, is it wasn't even a matter of what people do or they don't do, but it became a point of contention. Now, I remember, um, I have so many stories from my last church that I never tell. Uh, and one of them gravitated around a particular diet. Remember that? Oh, yes. And, and the pastor just went nuts because... Everybody went on this diet kick, all right? You know, and I'm not going to go into the details, all right? All right, because to me it's unimportant. But he, he was so flipped out about it. He was the one that was causing all the contention. I, I could care less what people eat, you know? And it was, it was like a, a cleansing type of diet, you know, that people were doing. And, you know, and of course, some of the folks in that church, God bless them, but they, were, they would oversell anything. You know, they, they would have made great used car salesmen. Um, but, but that's just how they rolled. Um, but I think that was part of what was going on here. And, and then it, you, you're to ask the question, and I, it's so important, who are you to judge another man's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will, make, he will be made to stand. That is, the servant will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. And so, as we unpack this, it's not so much what you do or don't do as it is your attitude in doing or not doing. And, and so that, that really brings everything into a slightly different context. Um, and, it, you know, I know of a, I didn't show this last week, but there was a church in a place, we'll just call it that, um, that the pastor was dead set against drinking alcohol. And then he had a revelation. Now it was okay to drink alcohol. And I was fine with that. He wasn't my pastor. I wasn't on staff. I don't attend that church. It doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Do what you, follow your conviction. But what happened was a culture was created around drinking to where they would make fun of people who didn't drink. Now, this is a huge church. So those who were on staff who didn't drink, they started making fun of them. And, and then, and, oh, I, I really wanted to be like uh, Nathan who stood up to David on this. I'll tell you in a second. And then what happened was this guy's right-hand man had too much to drink one day, hopped on a motorcycle, stuck his young kid on the back, and they got into the equivalent of a fender bender. Now, it wasn't like a, a ninja motorcycle. 
hitting, wasn't like hitting the wall at 60 miles an hour. It was, he came to a stop sign, and he didn't steady the bike well, and he fell over, essentially. That's what happened. But he was legally over the limit. And so it, it, it hit the papers. It was just this ruckus of a, of a mess. They made him resign. Um, yeah, I mean, it was like, but you encouraged this attitude. So you should resign right along with this guy then. Or maybe he, you should resign and let him be the senior pastor, you know, and he's learned his lesson. You know, it just, and, and all this about a guy getting stupid because he probably had one too many beers. You know, and, and so it's, it's amazing how these things can take hold. And um, they can create a fire. So my, my thought on this, and I've told you guys this, at one time I really tried to teach abstinence, and I found out you can't. Unless you're, if you're faithful to the Bible, I don't believe you can be. You can teach abstinence. That's my opinion. Now, there are... There are people who drink, there are people who don't drink. And I would recommend if the people who don't drink are offended by the people who do drink, then those who do drink don't drink in front of the people who don't drink, right? Like, I told you the story about sitting on the cooler, right? And I didn't even mean to sit on the cooler. And then make it even worse, I had Mary sit on the cooler, you know? And so all these people are wanting to drink, and the pastor's sitting on the cooler. I can't let, you know? And, and so... Um, we couldn't figure out why, yeah, yeah. Second one, what? What are you talking about? So um, a lot can be made, and I've seen it even, congr- one more, uh, people who decide you've got to eat kosher. Now, does it make sense to eat kosher? Physically, physiologically probably does. Just, the nurse says no. Okay, um, but some of the laws were given, for instance, you don't eat pork. Why don't you eat pork? Because it's an unclean animal. Why is it an unclean animal? Because if you don't prepare it correctly, you could get real sick. Um, so n- now all this meat's been recalled, you know, from E. coli. I, I, I saw that in the news. Anyway, that doesn't mean I'm going to stop eating meat. I mean, I, I, I've known people when in, in, in Europe... They were afraid of mad cows so they wouldn't eat meat. And all I wanted to do is sit down and have a hamburger in front of them. You know, I mean, you know, so um, it's really weird how these things kind of start to get under our skin. And they're they're almost like a virus, uh, excuse the pun, if you will, but it's almost like a virus that takes on a life of its own. And people get worked up over things that they really, in my opinion, shouldn't get worked up over. Um, and, and so it's also on days that you observe. Uh, one person, verse 5, one person esteems one day above the, uh, the other, another esteems every day alike. Now, I am not someone who esteems every day alike. I'll just tell you that right now. If you are, I don't care. Um, I like birthdays. I like holidays. I always, I always break where I'm teaching for Christmas and for Easter, and I always will. I know some guys who, who almost think that's an anathema to do so. Your mileage may vary, right? Um, and and I, I, think, I think the church calendar is, is, is important, but most of us are not. We either 
are not a part of that tradition, we're never in that tradition, or we came out of that, for, for, out of that tradition for some, probably some good reasons, and I've never really felt like we had to, to push that here. You know, as I told you last week, I observe Lent. Um, that's my call. And I'm not pushing it on any of you. And next year, when I observe it, I'm not going to push it on any of you. Um, unless you're curious, and we'll have a private conversation. Or we could say, well, we're going to have the quick little Lent Bible study. Anyway, I'm kidding. Um, but, but, but it's, and I do so as, it, to me, it's been very, it's been incredibly fruitful. That's why I do it. I, I'm not doing it to try to get holier. I mean, I've already, I've already gotten so past that in my life. I know that uh, inside of me, as Paul says, inside of me dwells no good thing. So it, it, it's not like I'm trying to earn favor with God. I, I have the grace of God as you have the grace of God, as we have the grace of God. And, and so it's, it's, it's an act of, not only an act of worship, but it's an act of availing myself to God so that he can instruct me in certain things that otherwise maybe I might miss out on. Uh, I got some of your interest, don't I? But anyway, that's next year. Um, and I was glad when it was over. I really was. It was like, oh, finally. Uh, but some, some people esteem every day alike. And so let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. I want to camp out on that a little bit. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. What is, what is that saying? What is that, what is, when you, you hear that, what do you think of? And don't worry, I'm not going judge to judge you because to your, uh, to your own master, you're going to stand or fall because God's going to be able to make you to stand. So what does that mean to you? Yeah. Unless your pastor's a heretic like yours, but anyway, um, but <laughs> but uh, and see that's an interesting thing because there are things I'm still and I I had one guy one time and God bless him I love the guy but anyway he he I wanted to smack him because he said I said you're just being wishy washy no I'm not no I'm not I I haven't I haven't looked at this deep enough or full enough or the Bible is not clear enough in my opinion to be able to have a, a certain uh, entrenched view on what a particular teaching or what a particular uh, theological view really is. Um, and, and so there are still things I have question marks about. I expect to have question marks probably up until the end. Um, and so when I get to heaven, I'm going to enroll in seminary. Exactly. Well, you're right. I am convinced that I will have questions. I'm fully convinced in my own mind that I'm not fully convinced in my own mind. And I'm okay with it. But you have to get to that point. You're following the desires of your heart, uh, studying and, and coming to your own conclusions. You have to get to that point, uh, whether you believe, why you believe what you believe. Um, because I shouldn't tell you this. I'm debating. I, 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 at times, I, I get a little um, discouraged with people who say, well, I don't know. I just don't know, you know. But they've never tried to know, right? 
they, they, they haven't put the work in. They haven't put the work in. And, um, you know, it's, if these things are that important to you, and I would hope that they would be, and maybe you just don't know, but you've got to start somewhere. Okay? You've got to start somewhere. Um, because there are things that I still just don't know. But I've started to work in them. And then, and then to me, the, the, the different aspects of, of, of theology are so broad and they are so deep that it's hard to retain these. You know, and so then you have somebody who thinks I'm the Bible answer man, you know, and, and if you don't know it, the Bible answer man on the radio, you got people that are screening those calls and then they're typing in not only the questions, but they're typing in answers for those guys. So don't, don't let, don't, don't think that the guy was, sorry, <laughs> don't think that he was just totally shooting for the, from the hip. But, but of course, to, you would hear that on the radio and you would think, wow, that guy's just, I just wish he was my pastor, you know, and trust me, you don't. But anyway. Uh, but um, it, trying, to, trying to work through these things because sometimes there are things that I, if I'm not with them, it's not like I forget them, but they get a bit foggy. And then I'll start shooting from the hip, and I don't like shooting from the hip. I'd rather open up the Bible and say, okay, what does it say here? Let's go back there and look at it. Uh, and I think that's a good discipline uh, to try to keep returning to the Word. But anybody... I would used to used to I used to jump on that like yeah you're absolutely right, and I would say yes you're right, but I would also say that I know people who know the Bible well, and the more they know, the greater jerk they became. They didn't grow; they became less like Christ in my mind rather than more like Christ. So again, that's an outlier. All right, I think I think. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, right? That's, that's what the scripture tells us. So, uh, but the thing is, is I guess I've gotten to the point, now I'm still growing, I hope. I hope I'm, I hope I'm still on the journey. I hope I, I hope I haven't finished. But I, I think I've gotten to the point at least here that I, I Christ-likeness, which, is, which I equip, equate with spiritual growth is more than just knowing the Bible. So that would just be... Now, is knowing the Bible important? Shake it a little bit harder. Yes, yes, of course. But, but there has to be a transformation. And it has to be an application. And it's just this, I think... This lifelong continuing going back, going back, going back, going back, and, and, and working through the Bible. Now, um, be honest with you, now, it's just how my mind works. I'm better with a, a chapter. Sometimes I'm better with a half a chapter. Sometimes I'll sit on a verse or two and call it good. And just the kind of going back and, and, and uh, um on his word, Philipp, uh, uh, Philippians, Psalms 1 talks about meditating on the word day and night. And what I've found as I'm getting older, it just, I, can read four, I can read two chapters and then sit down and say, you could say, what have you read? And I'm like, well, I don't really remember. Let me go back and look. So do what works for you too, right? Which you did because you went back. 
So you keep going back. So anybody else? You're thinking about it. (laughs) You have the Holy Spirit speaking to all of us in a given passage. And so there are different different aspects, different parts of the, the, as one of my pastors who actually liked, uh, uh, used to say it was like the the aspects of different cuts of a diamond of how you interpret and, or how you engage with, you know, how you engage with the Scripture. So, again, it's one of those things, too, that you, you, you the Christian growth is, is like a merry-go-round that never stops. You just got to jump on. You just got to jump on. Right, Gary? Yeah. Yeah, it's about the transformation of the heart. Uh, and the... Be not conformed to this world, Romans 12, chapter 1, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. Of your mind. So, um, okay. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he, who, for, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat, and God gives, and gives God thanks. The person who eats, gives God thanks. The person who does not eat says, thank you, God, that I'm not having that. <sighs> yeah, whatever. Um, and, and for none of us live to himself, and no one dies to himself. Now, that none of us lives to himself, no one dies to himself, uh, uh, some people have equated that with a line from John Donne's poem, No Man is an Island. It's not really what it's saying here. It's not really what it's saying here. At least I don't think it is. Um, what, what I think it's saying is that, because as, as we go on and it says, um, for none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, verse 9, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the living and the dead. And then it goes back to ask you that question again. So why do you judge your brother? You notice this is the second time he asked that question in this chapter? I'll leave you with that one. But this idea of no one lives to himself, what, what he's saying here is that uh, we are the Lord's in all matters of our life. In all matters of our life. Now, I had a pastor. I like this one, too. Uh, he, he prayed about everything. At least his wife claimed he did. And she was straightforward. She, was, she told the truth. Kelly, right? Oh, she told the truth, all right. Uh, but he would even pray about, now, he lived in Southern California for a while, and we prayed for him. But anyway, um, he would even pray about where he would park his car when he went to the mall. Because he saw all of his life as a divine appointment. Now, Knowing him enough, I know that he didn't get weird about it. He didn't preach it to us. When you guys go to the store, make sure that you pray to the Lord and find out where you're supposed to park, you know. You know but it was something that he felt impressed by the Lord to really dial in and to really focus and to really have this connection with God in each and every aspect of his life. That's what this is talking about here. Uh, where it says no man lives uh, for himself. And 
it really boils down to what, what I've shared with you before is that prayer is not just an event. It's a life. It's a life. Uh, and and, and it, it really goes into what uh, Paul says where he says, I think it's Philippians or it's Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. Um, and, and obviously to follow that, um, means that you can't bow your head, you can't fold your hands, and you can't close your eyes with every situation. And if you notice, now, now you're going to notice, so you're gonna, probably going to watch. Sunday morning sometimes, I don't even close my eyes when I pray. I'm, I'm uh, yeah, <laughs> uh-oh, I want to talk to you about that, yeah. Well, but, um, but because I'm, I, sometimes it's easier for me to concentrate. And believe it or not, sometimes it's easier for me to listen with my eyes open. Uh, I, speaking of that, I had a pastor, and he was a, he was a good teacher. Um, but he had a soft voice. And he, you had to really want to listen to him. Because he put you to sleep. What was weird, I told you, that, I think I told you this before. He'd start, that was how his prayers were at the end, and he'd go the full 90 minutes, man. He, he, I mean, he was like, you know. And, and I would fall asleep during his prayers, and I would start dreaming his prayers. Seriously, I mean, I mean, and all of a sudden he'd say amen, and it would just shock the living daylights out of me, and I'm just like, oh, my goodness, I'm here, and I'm in church, and everything. anyway, but uh, um, including God in every aspect of your life. Now, if you don't pray about where to park your car, I'm not going to think any less of you, all right? I don't do it. I'm always hoping for the one closest to the door, man. That's what I'm going for, all right? That's just the way it is, all right? And I got a placard with my wife that says we can do it. So anyway, but um, other things. And I, I just as a takeaway, are there things in your life that you don't necessarily consult prayer with God about that perhaps he would like to have a discussion with you about. I, I think probably with all of us. You know, and, and um, because what, what that, what I think in doing this too, I wasn't planning on going here, but I'm going here. So anyway, it, it kind of takes the relationship out of the genie and the bottle motif, right? That, oh, if I just, you know, I got the bottle and I rub the bottle and the genie comes out and I get three wishes from God. Now, are we to ask things of God? Are we? Yes. Yeah, we're to ask. You have not because you ask not if you ask amiss that you consume on your own lust, James tells us. So yes, you, we are to ask. Yes, you are to, to pray for others. It's, it's biblical to give God your grocery list, if you will, or your to-do list. It is biblical. But prayer, I think, is, is intended for it to be much more deeper for us than just saying, hey, God, I need a little help here. Although when you need a little help here, who better to ask help from than from God? Right? Yeah. Well, I, I, I think 
I, I, I think that's, yeah, I think that's part of what I've been saying. But sometimes, I'll be honest with you, Jeff, sometimes that connection doesn't feel necessarily deep. And so I can either get discouraged and not do it, or I can just decide, okay, I'm, the depth or lack of it doesn't matter. The Bible says pray without ceasing. So we'll just do it. So, you know, because I did read that over and over, right? That's a good place to start. Um, I think David prayed a lot. And what's that? He was severely depressed when he wrote some of those psalms. And, and uh, I think sometimes we, we think, okay, I'm going to pray and God's going to remove the barrier. Um, I think often it is that we pray and God walks us through the barrier. And it becomes bearable to walk through it. Um, anybody else? No one lives for himself. Because what I eat, what I drink, what I do, um, even when I teach, what I teach or sometimes what I leave out, there's like this ongoing, all right, God, what do you want to do here? What are we doing here? You know, um, what should I eat? What should I drink? What should I share? What should I be quiet about? Um, and and uh, there have been times, I mean, a long time ago, so it's none of you, okay? <laughs> none of you. Okay. But, you know, I, I'm here, and we're in the, I'm in the parking lot, and I'm hearing some stuff that's just like, you've got to be kidding me. And I was just about, and God said, don't. Okay, thanks for that, you know, and and just to to be that I want to say in tune, but I don't want to say in tune. Open, I like that one. Sensitive towards, available to, um, because I I think in a, a wonderful book, and some people hate this book, but a wonderful book. It was written by a guy who was a dishwasher, by the way. Called practicing the presence of God by Brother Lawrence. Yeah, and recognizing God's presence and God's interaction and the fact that God is with you in all places. Okay, judgment seat. What in the world? We're in trouble now. Um, so why do you judge your brother, or why do you show contempt for your brother? Okay, judge your brother. The weak are judging the meat eater, and the contempt is the contempt toward those who don't eat meat. Uh, or even vice versa. And, and so um, it says, why do, you, why do you judge? Why do you show contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Okay. Gosh, we only got through about here. All right. Um, I got all of this to do. Okay. So judgment, all judgment be determined in intermediate. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So what is the judgment seat of Christ? 
Okay, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We are going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, I, I, think, I think the judgment seat of Christ, as I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, hmm, I've always been taught that it's the place where the Christian gets their reward. And that's true. Kind of. So, 1 Corinthians 3. I'm in John. That won't get me there. Right around. Okay. Thanks, Cindy. Um, So you have a description here that I believe, and it doesn't say that it is. It's talking about judgment. I believe it's talking about the judgment seat of Christ. The Greek word is bima. You probably have heard people say bima seat, which means judgment seat seat, because bima means judgment seat, not just judgment. Okay, that's just a pet peeve I have, but I got over that. I, obviously, I haven't. But uh, uh, what's that? <laughs> All right. uh, uh, yeah, I'll take that one to my account. Anyway, um, so you have this foundation, and, and you have God as the wise master builder, and um, the foundation, and another builds on it. Let each take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation um, can anyone lay than which is laid, and that is Christ Jesus. So, um, so anyone who builds on the foundation, notice the building material. It's not two by fours. It's not glass. Um, it's not insulation. But it's wood, hay, and stubble. Excuse me, wood, hay, and straw, or gold, silver, and precious stones. And it says, each one's work will become clear. Now, uh, Cindy, on verse 13, could you read verse 13 for us only again, please? So your work will be judged by fire, what this is telling us. And it will happen on the day. Or is it the day or you had that day? I think you had the day. The day. And so the day is probably a reference to the final judgment in connection with the second coming. And where Christ will come again and he will judge the earth and he will render rewards to who rewards are given and he will, um, he will punish those whom are punished. Um, and this, is, this phrase, the day, is probably a reference to the day of the Lord. The reason why I believe that is I can't, I can't find any other the day that it would refer to. So when Christ returns, the dead are raised, and, and incidentally, I do believe in rapture because I, he can return, we can come up and escort him down. Yeah, it's called the elevator. But I, I, it makes a lot of sense, and it would be consistent with that culture actually, 
because when the king came, you would all the people would go out to greet the king and escort him into the city. That was very common uh, first century. So the dead arise, um, and then they are judged. Now, what's interesting about this, or am I getting ahead of myself yet? I think I'm getting ahead of myself, so I'll get, I'll, but, so I'll, I'll footnote that little thought in my head. What's interesting about this is 2 Corinthians 5 says, you'll be judged by your works whether they are good or bad. And it'll be judged by fire. So when you put hay in the fire, what happens? Straw, wood, they all burn up. What about gold or silver? What happens when you put them in the fire? It becomes more pure. See, that, that fascinates me, right? Because here we are at the final judgment and our works, because to purify gold, what do you do? You melt it, you heat it up. And so... Exactly. But I think it would, we would go with the container illustration on this one. Incidentally, that's why the Romans destructed the temple in 70 AD because it caught a fire. All the gold melted. It went between the cracks. So they had to dismantle the thing to get the gold, which is fascinating. Um, so our works will be judged as with fire. Um, and if anyone has built on what? The foundation. Who is the foundation? Exactly. If anyone has built on the foundation, he will receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet through fire. So that tells me who are these people that are being judged here? They're Christians. Um, Second Corinthians 5. Now this, I found, yeah, um, what's that? Um, let's go to 9 and 2.11. Larry, since you, you want to read it for us, please? So when you read here in 2 Corinthians 5, you have this judgment seat of Christ, and it says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one, so it's individual, all means, it means all. And so that each one may receive the things done in the body. Now think about that. Um, according to what he has done, whether it be good or bad. And then it says in verse 11, it says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men but we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your conscience. So you have this judgment seed of Christ that Christ judges the works or what was done in the body based on whether it was either good or bad. So 1 Corinthians, 
it's purged by fire, that which is wood, hay, and straw. I always want to say stubble, but the old King James um, gets burned away. The jewels and the precious metals become purified in a container. Okay, um, so it there there is a view here because the big question is. Okay, I'm I'm going to shut up for a second and ask, when does this occur? I've already told you my thoughts on it, but when do you think this occurs? There are different views on this. What's that? The judgment. Well, when's the judgment? Okay. Uh, yeah, and, but it says all. It doesn't say all Christians in the text. It says all. There is a view here that's called that this is the Lord judging all peoples and to determine where what's called their intermediate state, whether they are cast into uh, a place of, of punishment or whether they enter into the joy of the Lord. That's one of the views here. Because if you read Revelation 19, the Lord comes and he returns and they just obliterate the army. The Lord obliterates the army that is, is fighting against him. So then you have these souls that have departed. And so what do you do with them? Do, you, do, you, do they just get, you know, what's going on here? You know, and, and so as I read this, and particularly verse 11, because verse 11 of chapter... Uh, 5 of 2 Corinthians, it always comes after chapter or verse 10. It says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. Why is he saying this to if this is just for Christians and Christians only? Especially in another place in 1 Thessalonians. Is it 1 Thessalonians 5 that we're not appointed for wrath? No, that's 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Yeah, that we are not appointed for wrath. So knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And, and um, that... That could be the case, uh, Daniel, but what would that have to do with the judgment seat of Christ here? Are we being judged on how many people we witness to? Probably, possibly, you know, or is there a wider application? I think what you're saying, I, I'd have to agree with it at least in part, right? But, but um, is he, because it says you're being judged whether the works you do, whether good or bad. So, because at the end of, the, okay, Christ returns. Okay, this is my view. I know that some of you will disagree. Christ returns. He comes and he rules and he reigns. All right? Um, and we go into what's called a millennial reign. The word uh, millennium is used six times in the book of Revelation chapter 20. And I think it refers to a literal thousand-year reign. At the end of the thousand-year reign, 
Satan is released because before the thousand-year reign, hopefully if I'm going too fast, slow me down, but before the thousand-year reign, Satan is, is basically put into a, a, a bottomless pit, and he's, he's in chains. At the end of this thousand-year reign, where Jesus is on earth ruling and reigning from Mount Zion, I don't believe it's figurative. I think it's literal. Jesus is on earth. Um, Satan is released to essentially tempt all those who have not had the opportunity to be tempted. I don't know. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but it's what the Bible says. And so then the Lord puts down that final rebellion, and then you have what is called the great white throne judgment, where all of the unrepentant dead are resurrected, and that's called also the second resurrection. And so this would be a separate judgment that I just described, the great white throne judgment, separate from this judgment seat of Christ. Um, yeah, but I, I, to me, I'm looking at this text, and I'm thinking, well, there has to be something done with those who are in this intermediate state, right, who, who were unrepentant. They don't enter into the joy of the Lord, so where do they go? They go into outer darkness? No, not yet, not till after the millennium. So, so where do they, what do they do? Are they in a holding tank? Are they, you know, so... Uh, and it's very clear through the Old Testament prophets, particularly, that when the Lord returns at his second coming, he comes to judge, but he also, it's a twofold thing. He comes to judge, but he also comes to reward. And so that's what it's talking about when it refers here to the. Judgment seat of Christ. I know I kind of I glossed over it, and I'm, when I get done, eventually I'll get it on the website. It's on the private portal. Private portal. The password is W E D N I G H T, all lowercase, one word. But I'm trying to keep up with those on the private portal. So if you had something incredibly insightful to say, if it doesn't record well, I edit you out, and I apologize for that. But I'm trying to help you all listen to this, plus that little more sound. I try to edit that out, too. That's hard to edit, though. But um, any questions about the judgment seat of Christ? Because once we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, then we're done, if you will. There's no other judgment for the Christian. First Corinthians chapter three. Now that's a good question. Because this is a judgment of works. It is not a judgment for the Christian of whether you have been saved or not. It is a judgment of works. I gotta gotta get wait a minute. Okay. Um I'm back. It says, right around 13, um, it, will, um, it will be revealed by fire, 
and fire will, will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work, which he has built on it, endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. Why will he be saved? Because the book of Ephesians, he will be saved yet so as through fire. Okay, the book of Ephesians says we are saved by grace through chapter 2. We are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. So when I consider where my faith is, where grace is, I'm saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. So I don't earn my salvation. I never have. I never will. And neither will any of you, which is probably a good thing because none of us would get there right? And, but this is this idea of works being judged for the type of work that it is, which I believe, and this is probably more speculative than biblical, but some of the, the, the judgment is based on where, where are you going to be in the position of the kingdom of God? Are you going to be and, and Jesus talks about this with the parable of the talents in the Gospels, where the guy who was given five talents, he went and he multiplied and got five more talents. The guy with think, three got two more. The guy with one, what did he do? He buried it. So they took it away from him and gave it to the guy with ten. So then he had eleven. Um, and it's, it's, Jesus is talking about a final judgment there. And the, 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 the question that begs to be asked of our own souls is, what are you doing with that which God has given you? Which ones? Oh, Ephesians. Yeah. How much faith do you need just for fun? Less than the amount of a mustard seed, I think. Do you want to ride an eternity? Do you want to ride a Honda Trail 70? Or do you want to ride a Harley Davidson, for goodness sake? I mean, really. I mean, I think that's, that's part of, and, and the, the scripture doesn't say a lot about this. You know, and again, as I've, I've told you, and, and you guys think I'm kidding, and I'm not, my whole life goal is to get out of the pastor section of heaven, all right? I want to get in general population. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be much happier there, believe me. But um, it, it's, it's that which, and it has to do slightly, and, and I, I haven't fully made the connection here, but it has to do slightly with the worship of the Lamb that takes place in the book of Revelation when they are uh, before the Lamb and they cast their crowns before him. You're given the crowns based on, on what you do, not on your salvation, because that's because of Christ. But you are given the crowns as, and, and the crowns are, the, are the, 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 the gold and the precious jewels and the silver are those things that the Spirit of God has led you into, that the Spirit of God has energized you into. And I think with every form of ministry, we, we always have dual motives somewhere, somehow. And, and that fire purges out the dual motive 
and we have the purity of the motive of the Holy Spirit uh, that we were allowed to partake of and participate in, that becomes our crown. And what do we do with the crown? We cast it at his feet as an act of worship. instead of a Harley Davidson, you know. But uh, for me, I want to I ride a Harley Davidson in heaven. And I want all of you to ride one too, instead of scooters. You'll be on the back of mine. That'd be fine. Yeah.